0: Matthew chapter 11 and verse 16. Jesus said, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be
1: One of the senior negotiators of the Brexit trade deal with Singapore comes to church with us on Sundays and she's been at the forefront of multiple negotiations since 2020 as one of our government's negotiators on the deals. And we were discussing Singapore on Sunday morning over coffee and talking about Singapore's influence over the entire region in which it's situated is an extraordinary city. Its reach educational, financial services, law and order, her status as a centre of fashion, food and retail. It is a remarkable nation less than double the size of the Isle of Wight and a population of under six million, and yet an island city state with extraordinary reach. I've had the privilege of going there on a number of occasions and it always strikes me as you look down in the aeroplane coming into land, just how many cargo ships there are lined up. Last time I counted around about 70 and then obviously we passed by and had to stop counting. A regional giant, a powerhouse and a wonder of the world. As we were chatting, I've been thinking about Tyre and Sidon mentioned in our passage today and it struck me that Singapore in many ways, well, is a, a modern-day Tyre. We're going to begin by looking at these six cities mentioned in Jesus' teaching, verse 20 through 24, and I've called the first part of this talk a tale of six cities, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. In her heyday, Tyre was a large Phoenician city on the coast of the Mediterranean in modern day Lebanon, about 80k south of Beirut, the same sort of distance northwest of Galilee, she was an island city state like Singapore. Sidon lay on the coast between Tyre and Beirut, sheltered by an island She had the most magnificent port, and therefore Tyre and Sidon, together, massive centers of trade, wealth beyond imagination, imports and exports, fashion, commerce, and education, they both had their own royal families. But in the Bible, Tyre and Sidon become object lessons, and they are object lessons of judgment. You can read about them in Isaiah chapter 23 or Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38. And we find that Tyre was judged on account of her pride. Because your heart is proud and you've said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of the gods in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no God, though you make your heart like the heart of a God. And Tyre was judged on account of her knowledge By your great wisdom in your trade, you have increased in your wealth, and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, because you make your heart like the heart of a God, therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you. And Tyre was judged on account of her corruption. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And Tyre was judged on the basis of her privilege. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. You were an anointed guardian cherub. You were on the holy mountain of God. Sidon equally was judged. The Lord of hosts has purposed it to defile the pompous pride of all glory, to dishonor all the honored of the earth. I will send pestilence into her, says God. Slain shall fall in her midst. And the judgment of these two cities was cataclysmic. They became an object lesson and were spoken about across the world. Because Tyre was an island, God used the language of boats or ships to describe her downfall. Your rowers have brought you out into the high seas. The east wind has wrecked you. All the mariners of the sea shout aloud over you and cry out bitterly. Who is like Tyre, one destroyed in the midst of the sea? Sodom, the third city mentioned, is the city in which people sought to engage in homosexual rape, not as a one-off, but as a matter of course. If you went to Sodom as a casual visitor, you weren't simply in danger of mugging, far worse. And when asked if it were possible to find 10 righteous individuals in Sodom, 10 could not be found. And so the Lord rained down sulfur and fire and overthrew those cities and all the inhabitants of them. Now, as I've been thinking about these verses, this teaching of Jesus, it struck me that our generation of Christians in the West have grown unfamiliar with the reality of, of God's judgment expressed on nations in the present'. It's actually a constant in biblical revelation that God works in contemporary current affairs to bring about his purposes and, in some cases, judgment. So the Bible assumes that God's hand is over the fortunes of nations today and the Bible assumes that God's hand removes from nations the privileges that they once enjoyed. The Bible assumes that God's hand can bring about mass migrations to reconfigure the populations and values of godless cultures. And the Bible assumes that God bestows on nations the benefits that they enjoy And that God can equally remove such benefits. And Sodom was wiped from the face of the earth for her wickedness. And Tyre and Sidon were metaphorically dragged into the middle of the ocean. And all three became bywords for God's judgment. But it's interesting in verses 20 through 24, which I'm going to read again in a moment, in the teaching of Jesus that we're examining today, we can see that it's not contemporary current judgment of which he's speaking. He's speaking about future judgment. He has in mind a final day when God will judge. And as we read, you'll notice that Jesus demands that the former judgment of Tyre and Sidon, these object lessons in judgment, indicate that Tyre and Sidon and Sodom will face a future judgment as well. And he insists that the self-deserved fate of Tyre, Sidon and Sodom, great bastions of contemporary liberty and wealth and privilege, of their day serve as a taster menu for the judgment to come. So the verses, 28 through 30. He began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, and woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, than for you. We see there are three other cities mentioned. Chorazin was two miles to the northwest of Capernaum. Bethsaida was the home of the apostles Andrew, Philip, and Peter. And Capernaum was the city where Jesus conducted so much of his teaching ministry. It was the city where he healed the centurion's where the paralytic was raised up off his bed, where Jesus announced that the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sins. Capernaum was where Jesus raised Jairus' daughter and healed the woman with bleeding. Peter's mother-in-law came from Capernaum. She was healed by Jesus there. The people of Capernaum brought all their sick to Jesus. They crowded outside the door of the house where he was teaching He healed them all. And in the synagogue of Capernaum, Jesus cast out demons. Well, immediately we can see from this tale of six cities that Jesus believes in hell and judgment and he taught it. A gentleman after a Tuesday lunchtime once came up to me and chatted to me just here. He was visibly upset. He said, well, of course, I'm a New Testament Christian and I believe in the God of love. You're teaching Old Testament Christianity. And it struck me as he spoke, though I didn't put it quite so bluntly as this, that only a person profoundly ignorant of the teaching of Jesus could make such a statement. Jesus insists that there will be a judgment day, He demands that wrongs will be punished. But this passage appears to teach far more. The self-imposed fate of Sodom, Tyre and Sidon are object lessons of a future day of judgment where the wholesale destruction of those cities, according to Jesus, will be but as a Sunday school picnic. He assumes that it will be worse for the cities of Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida than for Sodom, Tyre, and Sidon. He assumes that there are degrees of punishment in hell. It will be more bearable on the day of judgment than for you. He assumes that punishment, torment, on judgment day matches the level of revelation given. He appears to know the future state of those to whom he speaks and to whom his word comes today. And he knows, it seems, how such and such a person would have responded had they been given such and such additional privilege. He appears to be able to look into our hearts and be able to judge perfectly the level of accountability and, therefore, the level of responsibility. A tale of six cities. There is, of course, a seventh. London. This then leaves with one question... Uh, that our passage, I think, raises for us. And Jesus gives two answers. What causes such responsibility, such devastation for Corazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum? Two things, the folly of their childish excuse, the arrogance of their stubborn resistance. The folly is there in verses 16 through 19. Here, Jesus analyses his own generation's response to his own ministry and that of John the Baptist. The Baptist was recognised by all as a prophet he gathered crowds from the nations, he dressed and spoke as an Old Testament prophet, everybody recognised him as such. He was anticipated in the Old Testament and he came as predicted. The Baptist message was simple and straightforward, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The elite establishment, religious and irreligious, refused to pay attention. Jesus came then, as the Baptist anticipated, offering forgiveness, just as the Baptist had promised he would. For that reason, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. He positioned himself as a spiritual doctor, and the spiritual doctor mingled with the spiritually sick. And the elite establishment, religious and irreligious, refused his offer of forgiveness. And those who refused to accept Jesus, and those who refused to accept the Baptist, they were kind of contrary, they... Their levels of reasoning descended quite simply to the infantile. They resolutely refused to reason. Logic, clear thinking, abandoned them. They wouldn't examine the evidence. They wouldn't take it seriously. They wouldn't give it the time of day. They just made pathetic excuses. Jesus likens them to little children. Verse 17, we played the... Well, verse 16, to watch while I compare this generation, it's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates, We played the flute for you, you didn't dance, so we sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. We know how it is that kids, when they're not playing Nintendo Mario 8 or Minecraft, like to play grown ups. Here's one group in the playground. They want to play, and so they're shouting out to another group, Let's play weddings, we're going to play a flute. No, 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 we don't want to play. Oh, but we want to play. Okay, you don't want to play weddings. Well, we'll we'll sing a dirge. In other words, sing a funeral. No, 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 we don't want to play, play funerals. You don't want to play weddings. You don't want to play funerals. You're just going to chop and change for anything to avoid playing. And John the Baptist came. He urged repentance. Oh, he's too austere. Jesus came and he offered forgiveness. Oh, he's too soft. And to one, they give one reason. To another, they give another reason. And their thinking descends into infantile childishness. So close to the conversation one has in any office, pub, friendship group. Jesus, will you consider the evidence? Oh, well, what about suffering? Answer the question on suffering. Well, what about creation? You answer the question on creation. Well, what about this miracle? You answer the question on this miracle. Ah, oh, yeah, but what about suffering? <laughs> and yet the evidence is all there. For wisdom is justified by her works. And John the Baptist has just sent asking about the works of Jesus. They're there for all to see and examine. If only they will move out of childish. Folly. And so they're culpable for childish, infantile thinking. When it comes to matters of heaven and hell and eternity and forgiveness and accountability, to be infantile in our thinking, it exposes us to yet further culpability. And the second reason why they deserve this judgment is arrogance, the arrogance of stubborn resistance. Verse 23 is so interesting. You, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Well, that's a reference to Isaiah chapter 14, where Babylon says of herself, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I'll set my throne on high. I'll make myself like the most high. Oh, I've come of age. I'm so mature. I'm like a God. I don't need God. And so Capernaum refuses to repent. And so Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heavens? You will be brought down to Hades, the waiting chamber for those on their way to hell. And so six cities, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin, and a seventh, London. Three concluding observations. One, gospel privilege and judgment go hand in hand. There will be degrees of punishment in hell, says Jesus. Those with greater opportunity will be held all the more responsible Sodom will face future judgment, as will Tyre and Sidon. Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin will face far worse punishment. Jesus had taught there. He had healed there. He had raised the paralytic there. He had promised forgiveness there. Matthew himself came from Capernaum. He'd held a party. People had sat with Jesus. What guilt? What punishment? I asked yesterday at a study group what privileges we have enjoyed in our generation freedom of speech, freedom to investigate the Christian faith, accessibility to the teaching of Jesus in whichever media we choose, freedom to go to church. The heritage of schools where the Christian faith has been taught. Grandparents who believed. Bibles in our homes. Professor Carson, with all the understated clarity of the university professor, puts it like this. The implications for Western English-speaking Christendom are sobering. Gospel privilege and judgment go hand in hand second gospel advance and judgment go hand in hand this this piece comes in a section where the gospel of Jesus Christ is advancing vigorously Jesus is engaged in gospel ministry yet even as Jesus speaks some are being saved and others are being judged Gospel advance and judgment goes hand in hand. And so gospel proclamation and judgment goes hand in hand. Even as we sit here, every one of us, what privilege? The teaching of Jesus. If we have it. What responsibility? And so then the question: childless excuses. Stubborn arrogance or repentance. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Our Father, we cry out to you for mercy on our city. We think of our dear friends and colleagues amongst whom we work. And this city with all the extraordinary privileges that you've given to us for decades. We pray that you would have mercy upon us and in your kindness move us and those amongst whom we work day by day to reason seriously, to repent, to surrender to Jesus and so to enjoy the blessings of his forgiveness and eternal life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.